House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Today we are talking uh, with a mystery writer and uh, very interesting, huge amount of books here, big variety, it's great. Um, so joining me on the line here is Joseph R.G. DeMarco. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, it's a pleasure, it's always good. So um, so um, here we go. Um, let's, let's, you've, how many books have you written now? Um, let's see, seven or eight, maybe. Wow. Um, what got you into writing? Like, what, 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 what was it that, um, let's say, uh, give you the bug to actually write your first book? <laughs> I guess I always wanted to be a writer. Um, never really got to doing the fiction end of things <laughs> until a lot later. But when I was a, a little kid, I would do lots and lots of reading. My parents would take me to the local library and take a ton of books out. Um, I remember reading the Dr. Doolittle series. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I love the Tale of Two Cities and uh, Robin Hood, the Animal Farm and all of that. And I just fell in love with things like that. Um, the, the little worlds that were created, especially like the Dr. Doolittle series of uh, the, the Ring series and all of that. You, you get into this world and I just thought, I'd like to create these things too. <laughs> so, so you really, so you have a good imagination. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good and it's bad. <laughs> Sometimes you imagine things you don't want to imagine. But yeah, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's we all do. I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, most of us do. We get into places, you know, because like for me, for instance, when I write to crime and I'm dealing with uh, family members and all this sort of stuff, you get all sorts of uh, emotions and things that come to to your mind and, and dreams. And, so, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's a weird situation. So, you know, and it's just... It's, it's, it's scarier than horror or violence in film. True crime is truly frightening. <laughs> well, it is. It is in the fact that you, you sometimes you, you sit and look and go, I can't believe this guy just is saying this. Like, he's right. just so off. Um, but so you know you 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 do mysteries like these are these are crime mysteries right some of them and right I, so where do you get your ideas about it is it from like a true experience or something you've come across or something you've seen or someone you've known yeah all of those I would think um, and I know for sure I mean for example in the, the Marco Fontana mystery series the first one is called Murder on Kamak, which is a, a Kamak is a street here in Philadelphia. And that's based on a journalist who got killed because, I mean, it's not based on this, I and mean, I made this up, a journalist who got killed because he was investigating the death of uh, Pope John Paul I, who served for about 30 days in 1978. Um, but this journalist in my book came across information which had repercussions all through the church and whatnot. And I was going through some papers on decluttering during this COVID period and came across a, a big news clipping that I must have saved or my mother must have saved for me 
about the death of the Pope. So it's been something that's always been in my mind, and that's what happens. You get these ideas, and sometimes they sit there for years <laughs> yeah. uh, where you actually do anything with them. But uh, I know that's an idea that had been sitting with me for a long time. I remember that when the Pope died and they were um, blowing the smoke up for another one, you know, all that. Because <laughs> I was quite young. I, I, I was still in oh, grade nine or ten, I think. Mm -hmm. So, But it had an impact on me because oh, sure. I, I didn't understand it. Right. Right, because we weren't, uh, I wasn't brought up in a religious household. Um, certainly not a strict one. <laughs> and so um, it was a kind of a, I didn't understand what all the hoopla was and mm -hmm. who the Pope really was and stuff. So, you know, um, it's, it's interesting. So, and when you take, like, your investigator um, in a series, like this mm -hmm. Marco, Marco character, um, how do you develop this, this, this person and, and where does... Um, where does the idea of how you shape him and how he acts and reacts to things and develops? Is it just something that, like, I, I, it, now this is a full question, but um, a lot of people I've talked to that write crime fiction say that their characters are like their kids, they're uh, very involved and they, they love their characters, a big part of them. And, uh, you know, so, so they really move along with the characters and develop mm -hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Do you find it the same way, or do you do something uh, different? I do. I mean, um, they're kind of like your kids, your friends. Your, they're, they live with you, uh, and they live in your head <laughs> a lot of the time. And uh, so, yeah, I see what they do. And, but they confuse me, too, in some ways, because Marco is a sort of relationship-challenged person. <laughs> has a difficulty settling down. Now, some people have complained about that, but it's just who he is. Uh, maybe one of these books he will, but uh, but I find that sort of curious. Every book is something different with him. But he does grow and he does change. So even though you can read the books out of order if you want to, if you want to see his development and that of some of the other characters, then reading them in order is probably the better better thing to do but yeah they they live with me and they uh are continually playing scenes out in my head <laughs> even when i'm not working on a particular book <laughs> so it never stops for you like this these sort of things uh, just kind of come and go through your head all the time and uh yeah yeah that's true um you know preparing to go to bed i'll be thinking well how about doing this and maybe making this happen <laughs> why is he doing this and, uh, yeah they're with you all the time usually and now the more you write the more characters there are who are stuffed into my apartment here so you got quite the party going on over there <laughs> <laughs> well that's why I make them all cute yeah well you have to <laughs> why not you can do what you want right? that's true you can pick the perfect one, right? Uh, so that's pre that's pretty cool. So now you've got. Uh, um, I noticed on your um, website and stuff, you've got like uh, books on all sorts of things. So you you talk about vampires as well. I guess you have two books on that. Um, I have more, and the second one is coming out hopefully before the end of the year. Yeah. So so where did that come from? Like, do you have a paranormal 
fascination, uh, or do you? I've always I've always liked vampires. Just I find them intriguing. Um, in fact, I don't consider them horror, although I suppose some people they do get put into that category. But I find them sophisticated creatures, and who, I mean, how could you not be sophisticated after living thousands of years for some of them? Um, but a publisher that I was with at the time, and we won't we won't talk about that. Um, suggested that I do a, a vampire PI series, which I thought was a great idea and something that I wanted to do. And uh, But the first idea that I had for the series turned out to be way too big for just a PI story. I mean, every story has its own shape and length and whatnot. And so this one is a story that I'm stretching out over a trilogy, and it takes place at, in the present day, um, which is at a later point in his life. And I'm hoping, I'm, so I'm introducing him as whatever he is now, but when I finally get to do the, the PI part of his life, that's going to be some decades in the past. So, which is, a vampire, you can do this. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I, you know, I just I, it, that just came to my head. I never thought about this before. You can have him living several lives, right? Right. Yeah, there's a series. There's a, a a series. I think Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough does. She's got a book for just about every period in history that you can imagine uh, with her vampire. Um, he's not a PI, but he's he's a guy who has lived thousands of years and it's interesting i mean ancient egypt uh, the french revolution almost any period you can think of he's got a book with this guy in it. <laughs> well that's but i i would imagine that would take a fair bit of work because when you're going to write a book let's say about him being a pi back years ago mm -hmm. um you have to kind of make sure that the setting is accurate to the time, right? Like you have yeah. to fit, you know, the way they speak and the, the, right. the, way, the way they're dressed and the, what kind of right. how they live their lives. So that takes a little bit of time. Yeah, it's like doing a, any other historical mystery or romance or whatever. You've got to get all, at least most of the details right. Um, and I do read a lot of historical stuff, and, and it's often very good. Um, so... But it is a lot of research. But this, the, the, my latest in the Marco series, uh, the, Vel the uh, Vermilion Secret, was took a lot of research, uh, more than the ones previous, except maybe for the first one, um, because it has to do with the art world and uh, forgery and all of this. Um, so I had to learn a lot. I mean, I've always loved art. I've always spent time in museums, but learning some of these details is a whole other thing. So... Um, so it's been good, and I enjoy the research. It's, sometimes it's the best part of it. <laughs> I was going to say how you know how, it, it, that that's going to be the most work behind it, I guess. Or do you find that the the worst, or the, not the worst, but the most amount of work? It is a lot of work. Yeah. Well, doing research and then working out the plot are, I guess, two of the most time-consuming things. These the characters; they just sort of they're there. Um, I can see them clearly. I can hear them talk. Not just the ones, not just my constant characters, but the new ones that come with each book. Um, 
so so yeah, the research and the and the plot take the most time. But the research is usually enjoyable because it's something I want to know about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not something that I've been assigned to do by some teacher. <laughs> I've got to do that. Well, in a way. In a way. In a way. But you're the teacher. And I'm the teacher, right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. Well, so where do you get your influences? Like, um, you know, of course, some of the classics and stuff, but what, what, in, what in life um, sort of inspires you? I, I don't know. I think, well... Mysteries have to do with creating order out of chaos, in a way, uh, the chaos that's caused by the crime. And that kind of appeals to me because life can be pretty chaotic. Um, so getting, you know, that's, that's kind of an inspiration. But everything inspires me. I mean, I'll walk down the street and see people uh, that immediately become a character um, situations in the newspaper. A lot of times it's real life things that happen that sort of ping off into another direction. What if this happened instead of that? And, um, so stuff, history that I read uh, is a big part of things too. I love history. Um, so that, that's, um, that's a big influence. And then just daily life. Oh, that's interesting. You know, it's, you just never know where it comes from. But are you that guy that um, sits at the coffee shop and, and looks at people? <laughs> Actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then you create a whole history and story around people that you see. Not, only, not only listen, but eve I mean, not only look at them, but I eavesdrop as well. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, it's not that you're, you're taking their story. I love to... Um, replicate good speech patterns and dialogue patterns. And listening to people talk is, is really a, a big part of that. I used to write a lot of stuff for the theater, and that's all dialogue, and you have to get it right uh, for it to be believable. So I developed uh, a good ear for listening to people and how they say things, not just what they say, although sometimes that makes it funny, but it's how they say things that, that I find intriguing. And yeah. then also informs the writing, too. Well, and it makes it realistic, right? It makes uh, it realistic, yeah. You know, if, if, if you're influenced by the way people are uh, acting toward each other or treating each other in a coffee shop or a, a restaurant or something like that, I mean, imagine that's... You, you can't get better than that because it's real life. <laughs> real life, right. <laughs> and real life is always just crazy. Um, that's yeah, true. That's what I can say. I think get plenty of people who just come up to you, like waiting in a train station, and they'll engage you in conversations that you <laughs> didn't necessarily want. But <laughs> they kind of give you ideas and ideas for characters and whatnot. So it's interesting. I mean, you can find ideas anywhere. Yeah. Now, I, I've noticed in Lethal Attachments, now you're using uh, former cops. Right. Um, is, is there a reason for that in particular? I just thought it would be interesting. In the first volume in that series, they're still cops, and um, they go through, th through things, and one of them gets kicked off the force by the end of the book, and the other one leaves the force 
in solidarity and because he's fallen in love with the guy. So, um, and they form a, a PI agency. So in Lethal Attachments, that's sort of the beginning of their work in, a, in the PI agency. Um, so why, I don't know, I, I just thought they'd have more experience working with crime and things like that as, as former cops. And they'd have a lot of connections. Um, so I'm, I find them just fascinating. There's a lot of different, there's a lot that goes into being a, a police officer. So um, I, I found it good to, to do that. Yeah. I, I, I'd imagine, you know, I, I know a lot of cops, especially dealing with true crime and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm always very interested in, in, in their lives and how they are and, and right. what, what they live like. And I was just wondering now, so when you bring up, um, so now you have these cops and then they eventually do a PI company, so they leave it. Um, is there a little bit of a social sort of description or a social sort of statement by doing that, um, like cops that are gay? Is that sort of still something that um, intrigues uh-huh. you? Oh yeah, I think I find it interesting. I mean, we have here in Philadelphia um, an organization I can't remember the name, but of gay cops, and they're pretty active. Uh, you can find them on Twitter and whatnot, and uh, they're nice people. One came and spoke to a a group that I sometimes attend, and, and he was he was very good. Um, are, are so they I, on Grinder too, or I don't know. That would be nice. <laughs> But I don't know. There's probably, of course, there's always residual um, feelings about these things. So I'm sure there's always some kind of uh, feeling in the background on the force among some people. But I think that's kind of dying now. Things are getting a lot better. Yeah, I, I think I think they are too. I think things are moving slowly, but they yeah. do they do move forward. Like people start to accept the idea. It's just I just wonder if that's some sort of uh, social commentary in effect that uh, you know it's it's these are cops that are that were that are gay and then that's something that's not unusual or in a way that's sort of what. Yeah, I guess in that sense that yeah that it's something not unusual. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that they exist, and, and it's not that they couldn't have stayed on the force if they wanted to. Um, the reasons they left are not not because of bigotry, right? Uh, what, so, so that's the, now. Do you do you, when you do something like this, and you have these types of, of people in there, your characters are, are cops, and that do you do you talk with police then, or people that do the job, or 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 stuff like that? Is that kind of how it? I usually, but I would like to do a little more of that, only for verisimilitude purposes. I want to make sure things are are right. I don't use a lot of. Except for that first volume in the other series, I don't use a lot of inside the force um, details, but I would like to do a little more of that. So I probably will get in touch with, you know, the guys in the uh, the organization here and just see if I can have a sit down sometime when I do that. Because it does, you know, Marco has a lot of friends on the force. He was in the academy, but left for various reasons, and 
So he still has connections to the force and still deals with cops. So it would be good to get a little more background information from some people. Yeah. Do you ever get any reaction to using cops in a gay no. plot? Oh, no, not at all. No, because, I mean, it's sort of become just normal procedure. I mean, we have a, a festival here that every October around National Coming Out Day, um, although this year they're not going to do it, but it's a huge street festival. It's probably the biggest in the city. Um, and there's always one table set up from the police department doing recruiting work. So uh, I don't think people, I mean, I'm sure there's some people who have some reaction to that, but in general, I don't think anymore. I think they're proud of the fact. In fact, they've even marched in uh, gay pride marches or that. So. Huh. So it's, it's, oh, yeah. So I should, I just wondering because I, not in that world. So I'm just wondering what they, yeah. um, you know, if there's any any bite back or any anything that comes back on something like that. Yeah. Just, you know. Well, I have a former student who's a cop. He's probably one I would begin to talk <laughs> about these things. <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, cause, well, personal attachments are great because you find out more of the real story. Right, right. You know, uh, rather than someone you don't know or... And there's more trust built there already because you have this connection from the past. So they know you're not out to do them dirty, you know, so. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. So now, uh, now with your new book um, uh, that you're coming out with, um, what's, what's the basic premise of that? What, what's the idea behind this? Well, um, Marco's uncle is an art conservator who comes to town to chair a committee that's making a decision on a painting that's supposed to, that might be a Botticelli. So the committee is deciding this. Um, and in the midst of this, there's actually two murders, one of which his uncle is being accused of. And, um, so he's got to sort and the, and the police are not going to let him in on the investigation much. So he's got to do a lot on his own to get his uncle off from this charge or potential charge. Um, and so, but he finds out that this murder is probably, the whole thing is probably much more complex than he imagined to begin with. And um, he goes down all kinds of byways to figure things out. Um, and eventually does, but something, there's an informal thing called the Vermilion Competition, which has to do with a, um, a very famous forger, um, and members of the committee, along with a lot of other people, are competing to find his forgeries. Um, that's one thing, but there's also the committee decision, who's, you know, how are they going to decide, who's going who's gonna to benefit by this painting being an actual Botticelli or not. Um, and, and, and there's also competition for the directorship of a new museum being built in the city. So there are a lot of factors that he has to sort of wade through and figure out what's bearing on this murder and how he can get his uncle out from under this. Wow. So that is, that, that in itself would take a lot of research, making sure you, you get everything right. Right. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. 
<laughs> because I, I get, I would imagine you you would get some sort of a bite back on that. Like if you did a book like this, and then you sort of put in things that weren't accurate, people right. would. I, I would imagine it would be the same thing as in true crime. All of a sudden, people snap back, going, "Oh, that's not true, or that's fake." Of course, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, yeah. How how do you find the uh, readers? Do you get how is it in crime fiction? Lots of loyal people. You get uh, people that follow through on on your book series. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I do. I they connect with me on Facebook, so I get uh, feedback there from people who are interested in the series, and um, I get an occasional fan mail here and there. <laughs> It accidentally gets to you. It's <laughs> on Amazon. So where they come from, I don't know. As long as they keep coming, it's fine. Yeah. And and so I noticed you, because you have such a variety of writings, like short stories, stripper studies, which, of course, I'm sort of, I'm right there. Um, <laughs> not because I could strip by any means. God, no, no. That shift is past 30 years. Um and nonfiction work. So, you know, theater, all this stuff. Do you have a direction you're going in with your writing? Well, I'd always wanted to do fiction, but having been involved in the gay movement here in Philadelphia, I sort of got sucked into doing stuff for the, for the gay press, which was fine and good and got me to meet a lot of interesting people, which helps because those become characters later on. So... <laughs> But eventually I decided I had to, I mean, it was fun and it was interesting doing these interviews with famous and non-famous people all over the place. And, um, and it was good. But at, at some point I had to tell myself, stop it and get focused on what you want to do, which is fiction uh, and which is mystery um, and maybe vampires now and then. So, yeah. <laughs> and strippers. Right, and strippers. Uh, <laughs> and so I had to sort of, pull myself back and, and from doing all of the, the nonfiction stuff, which I like, but it's, it's time-consuming, and it takes away from doing what I really wanted to do. Right, right. But when you – so when you do these stories, like, you know, like when you were talking about stripper studies and stuff, and you're, you're, you're talking with a lot of people um, doing something like that, how do you find people um, when you interview them? Are they pretty open to – being written about in a book? Yeah, well, I, I, I assured them that the, no names would be used, not that they gave me their real names. Um, although I did make them sign a form, you know, so that I had permission to do the interview with them. Um, but I assured them there it would be, you know, the utmost secrecy. I would never do that. There were no pictures involved, so they wouldn't have to worry about that. Um, so, yeah, I found them pretty, once that was out of the way, I found them pretty honest and open and willing to talk about how they got into the, the stuff and how they, how they enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it and why they stayed or why they're leaving. So it was, it was good and interesting. I met a lot of interesting people. After you interview 200 people, yeah. <laughs> you, you have, there's lots of, uh, lots of material. And lots of good people. They're, on the whole, a wonderful bunch of guys. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You know, and then uh, Thor, the stripper, isn't really his name. 
Pardon? His name's Thor. Thor the stripper. That's, that's, not, a, that's not his real name. His real name, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, real type, but not his real name. <laughs> yeah, my name is Thor the Hammer. Yeah, I, you know, I tell you. Um, well, that's, you know, it's pretty interesting. How How is it um, writing books with gay themes? Um, I know when we had Matt Luber Moores on and, and he mm-hmm. talked about the histories and stuff that he said it's still really difficult uh, for major publishers to really promote and uh, use gay theme by gay authors. That was his opinion. Do you find it that way or do you find it fairly easy to publish? No, it's diff- well, with big mainstream publishers, yes, it's difficult. They'll do um, some things, but they just don't go into it wholeheartedly. And I think part of it is due to the idea or to the, the misconception that when somebody says, I'm a gay writer, all they think of is that you do porn or that these books are going to be filled with sex. And um, that's why I believe that many mainstream major publishers shy away from doing a lot of gay stuff because it's got a bad rep. I mean, not that sex writing is bad. It's fine. It's good. I've enjoyed reading some things. But um, it's not all that way, and we shouldn't be held down because some, you know, because people are prejudiced against that type of writing. Um, Because not all gay writing is that way. Yeah, it's kind of like lumping everyone into the same, into the same thing, right? Um, Right, right. And so I think Matt is is right on that. It is, it is still difficult. Um, And I don't know if it'll ever get better. (laughs) That's one thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm being gay myself and writing in the true crime world. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first little while, um, nobody really knew. I wasn't like uh, um, really – it wasn't comfortable to be out, especially around um, cops and detectives and, and uh, policing. It wasn't at the time anyway. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's better now in that regard. As far as publishing, it's still, I mean, there's so much written every year, of course. It's difficult to get published anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, but when you have a strike against you that's an unfair strike, it doesn't help. Yeah, it's interesting. And you said you do, you were kind of working with the gay, gay community and press and stuff in Philadelphia. Right. Do, do, do you find that, um, how do you find things for, for gay people now in Philadelphia, and in general, what do you think? Well, Philadelphia is a pretty good city for um, for gay issues. I mean, we had a, a gay rights bill passed in the eighties. Um, so, and there have been a lot of different uh, things. You know, we've got streets named for famous gay people who've worked in the city. We've got markers, historical markers, all over the place. Um, so they've they've done. Even in front of Independence Hall, you know, people used to gather there in the 60s uh, to before Stonewall to march around for gay rights. Uh, and if, they didn't call it that at the time. I think it was homosexual or something or other. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's not a bad city. Huh. The thing is that our, our neighborhood has been sort of 
is not as vibrant as it should be for a city this size. And we should have more bars than we do. But that's that's the hand we're dealt. So, yeah. <laughs> well, but you, but you think that's because of modern, you know, like apps and the way everything's gone uh, online. People do more meet online and stuff. More more that sort of hookup. Yeah, I think I think two things is that's one of them. The technology, you have lots more meeting places online, um, lots more ways to hook up. Than, than used to be in the bars. And so that's one thing. Um, but there is that social component. People still need to be out and together, uh, which is what's making the lockdown so difficult. Um, but the other thing is when you get accepted, when you get more than tolerated, you disappear. And that's, that's what's happening, I think, all over the country. Uh, now people are pretty much accepted by almost everyone. And so you kind of melt into the general population, thinking that you don't need to be with your fellow gay people, but you do, <laughs> and you find that out eventually. So. Yeah, no, I notice it's huge. Like I, I have a place up in Canada, and I, and it's been, uh, you know, marriage was legal at least ten years before the U.S., but it's really blended. Right. Yeah, and I sort of miss it, but I wonder if. Um, I wonder if the younger generation doesn't miss it because they don't really know. They don't know, yeah, what they're missing. Uh, if you never had it, you never miss it. Um, but, I mean, I think, you know, it's good and it's bad. It's, it's wonderful that people are accepted, that people can fall in love with whom they please, get married, adopt kids, or have them in other ways. Uh, I think that's all wonderful, but we shouldn't forget ourselves in, in that. You know, we... We shouldn't forget that we're here and we're different. I've always believed, no matter how much, how similar we are, we're also different. We have a different viewpoint. Maybe that's disappearing too. I don't know, but I, I believe in a gay sensibility. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There is a difference. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means right. that, not, you know, just different. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting. Has has any of this stuff? How's it affected you? Um, I asked this of a lot of people this year, um, especially writers. Um, mm -hmm. Has it affected your writing? Like, I mean, the COVID and the okay. protests well, and all this sort of stuff going on. Well, yeah, I think. I mean, I haven't stopped to really analyze everything, but at first, uh, and even a little now, focus and concentration were sort of not good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it took longer to do all kinds of things. And I find from different groups, online groups that I belong to, uh, writers groups, that uh, that was a common problem that people were having. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just me. But apparently a lot of people are having uh, problems. So focus and concentration. And I do feel, and I'm, I guess I'll wait until the lockdown is over to really figure figure that out. But I feel there's an underlying anger in me about this. Not, it, it's just that um, it's a lot a lot of missed opportunities all of these months. I had, like everybody else, I had tons of plans, <laughs> and everything got thrown into the trash bin. Um, so. Yeah. So there's a bit of anger about all this, although it's not directed at anyone or anything or 
it's just sort of an amorphous uh, kind of feeling. And so that hopefully I'll channel it into something good. Yeah. I, I just wonder if that, that is kind of the with a lot of people, and a lot of people don't understand or even realize they have that anger. And mm-hmm. so then they get out to their Walmart and they start screaming at someone at the front because they're wearing a mask or they're not wearing a mask or, you know, and I wonder if it just sort of go, gets out of hand because of that. I think so, yeah. If you don't recognize that you have some something going on, it's a, it's a liable, it's liable to take over in you without you under, realizing or understanding what's going on. Um, so, but I only just recently realized that there was this anger building up. So, fortunately, <laughs> oh, were you were you out at Walmart screaming at someone <laughs> for not wearing a mask? <laughs> I don't. I try not to go out too much, just to do a little shopping now and then. It's kind of scary. Although a friend who's been really wonderful through all this said, "You have to go out and take walks. The air isn't toxic." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do this, and because for the first few weeks, I just was sort of, you know, paralyzed with fear uh, and not going out at all. Uh, right. But yeah. that's gotten better over time. So. Well, I, I agree, but actually, uh, f- for me, it stayed much the same, except for now we just record out of my home studio instead of going into uh, into a studio. And uh, uh, But I'm used to being inside a lot anyway. Oh. Yeah, well, me too. I'm used to sitting here at the computer, doing my work, taking breaks, watching TV. Um, but I, I do, having been stuck here now for all this time, I do realize I did enjoy being able to just go out when I felt like it, to go to the store, go to three stores, go have lunch with a friend. Um, and so even though I'm used to being inside, I there are things I do miss and it's kind of like being on a on a chain, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can. You used to be not on that chain, but now. Yeah, yeah, and it feels weird too if you go out. I it feels like a, a almost an alien place because. Yes. You know, a lot of places aren't open, or there's line up, and then there's. You know, just it just has a weird sense about it. I wonder, you know, for 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 me, I'm writing dark anyway, but. I ask this a lot. Do do you think your writing becomes a little darker because of it? Oh, I hope not. I mean, I hope not. (laughs) I wonder about that because, um, well, I have a love-hate relationship with the city, so (laughs) see that in my writing at times. You know, I'll criticize this or criticize that, but I'm always, you know, but there's a lot of beautiful things in the city too, so... um, so that does affect it. I'm hoping this won't. I mean, for I don't intend to deal with this at all in what I write. Right. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's a year of lost opportunities. And it's going to stay in the in in the box. <laughs> Move on from there. Yeah. Well, I, I but I would imagine if you're writing a story, if you do write in the future, this this kind of has to be addressed because. Right. You know, right. something, whatever happens in the long run. Right. Um, that way I don't mind dealing with it, yeah, as, as something that has happened and that we all went through. But I, I don't, I'm not sure that I'm ready or that, or even inclined to do a story that takes place during this. Um, yeah. But yeah, as something that happened in the past, yes, I, I can see that. 
definitely. Yeah, because I, I think we want to see how the world goes through this and what happens in the future rather than just guessing. Yes, know. right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, what's your favorite book that you've written? Oh, I don't know. Usually it's the most recent one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, available now. For <laughs> available now, well, or will be in a couple of weeks, uh, a few weeks. Um, but, yeah, The Vermilion Secret is probably one of my favorites, but also Murder on Kamak, I kind of like, just because that story was rolling around in my head for a long time. So um, I like that. Um, I like them all, actually. I have no... I can't say they each deal with a different set of circumstances and different characters along with the regulars. Uh, so I like them all. But if, I think that usually the one I like best is the one I've just finished just because I'm, it's sort of new. Yeah. Oh, do you feel like you become a, each book you write um, makes you a better writer? I think so. The more you write, the better you get. I agree. And one thing that, this lockdown has caused this is probably the most revised and edited book <laughs> i've had plenty of time to go through and take out this word and change that word and, yeah uh, do you find there's anyways, but yeah go ahead do you find there's a point like for me um Sometimes I'm, I'm writing and then I, I, I look it over later and I, oh, I have to do this, I have to change this. I have to. Is there a point where, because you can do that forever, right. uh, is there a point where you kind of go, nope, that's it, done? I, I have to have sort of something to hit myself over the head and say, stop, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You can't do anymore. Uh, I mean, there are certain words that I have that are kind of like verbal tics and this whole lockdown situation gave me the ability to go through the manuscript and take them out and work with those. And that's kind of interesting. And I think I learned something doing that. Uh, it's like you said, you become better every time you do something. Um, but yeah, you, you can overdo it. Sometimes you just have to stop. As long as it's grammatical and it's fine, maybe it's not pretty, but um, you just have to stop and put it out there. Yeah. I agree. There's, there, otherwise, you know, you, it'll be 20 years. And right. <laughs> 20 years of making. Yeah, and it's kind of silly. Um, so if uh, for new writers, and let's say new gay writers, what's your advice? My advice is to read, 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 <laughs> and then write, 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 preferably all at the same time, uh, because reading teaches you a lot. If you read as, like a writer and not just for pleasure, you read, and especially if you find people whose work you really admire, then um, you learn something by reading their writing. But there's nothing that substitutes for actual doing the writing. That's what, as like you said, you get better every time you do it. Well, the more you do it, the better it is. You may throw out a ton of stuff, which is what I'm doing now. I found stuff that wrote years ago. <laughs> it's all going into the shredder. He's got the shredder running right now. Shredder is running, yes. No. So, yeah, but I think that's it. And then study. Go to conferences. Uh, there are plenty of writer, or there used to be plenty of writer conferences to go to. Uh, and... Uh, workshops and stuff like that. I mean, some people love ha being in critique groups. And I used to do that, but I don't find that I, I want to do that anymore. Um, 
But yeah, there are, and there are plenty of those around too. So there are plenty of things, learning experiences, but the best is doing the reading and doing the writing and, yeah. and learn. Yeah. Uh, right from the heart, right? You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. So you seem to like a lot of classics. Do you think that the, uh, how do you say, literacy of the world or people nowadays is less than what it was, let's say, 50 years ago? I often wonder about that. I don't know. Uh, I mean, people seem to be reading less, but I'm not sure that that's exactly true either. I think there's always been uh, a set of people who read. I'm not sure that number has changed. And then there's a set of people who don't read much. Uh, I'm not sure that number has changed. But now we have audiobooks, and maybe there are people who use those instead of reading the, the yeah. you know. Well, I, I do a lot. Yeah. yeah, which is fine. I mean, I, I listen to books now and then. Um, I have to. I had cataract surgery, so uh, both eyes. And yeah. it's been real difficult to go back to reading, so I find that listening is better. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's good and it's fine as long as the. Uh, I haven't really gotten into. We we did a couple of books um, as audio books, but I'll have to get back into seeing about that. I wasn't very convinced that that was the big thing to do, but I should do more of it anyway. Yeah, actually, they do well. the The yeah. books I have out in audio have done really well, and now I've got over two hundred on my Audible app and. Uh, Okay. So I I don't know. I just I've one they're so good now. Um 5 years ago no, but now they're they're done really well. Right. So I, I recommend I think there's more people now who can read than used to be. <laughs> well, I just wonder because they go out and buy a book, I don't know. But. No, and but and not only that, just the way people write. I mean, um sometimes I wonder because a lot of um you know, when I write and and you read other writers and stuff, I, I I don't know if I see as many of the classic type writing nowadays. Mm-hmm. That, that's no. as as, yeah. as literate, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean it's the world that we're using text, and right. every, everyone's into abbreviations and shorthand. And, and, I know. and you know, and they'll say, you know, you see people and they go, you know, say things like uh, token. Uh, conversating, uh, and 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 it just seems to be. I keep hearing all these things, and I sometimes I have to look things up on the internet. What does this mean? <laughs> I have no idea what this abbreviation. Could be. Yeah, I, that's what I, I just mean. The whole way people, uh, you know, communicate with each other seems to be a lot looser and less mm-hmm. less performance, and and I just wonder if that is affected in writing, you know? That's possible, yeah. I mean, I think it is, but there's still a lot of beautiful writing and, uh, out there, so it's there if people want it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm just going to the wrong places. It's <laughs> <laughs> I've got to up my game here. <laughs> oh. Now, so you have a, a website that people can go to. Yeah, that's josephdemarco.com. Perfect. Now, because we'll have that up on ours, we're going to have your book up on ours as well. Um, so people that are listening to the show, they can do one click or they can come back to the website anytime and they'll find you. Okay, great. So that's, uh, that's kind of a good thing, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure. It's always interesting right. to, 
to, yeah. you know, to talk to writers and exchange ideas. It's always a lot of fun. So um, sure. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us. And, um, I appreciate you having me. It's been fun. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we'll do it again, maybe when you're new. I hope so. Yeah, it'd be fun. So our, our guest has been uh, Joseph R.G. DeMarco, and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Take care. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.